listening to a teaching from Vineyard Church in Jacksonville, Florida. For more information on teachings and special events, visit us online at www.vcjax.org. That's vcjax.org. Now let's listen in. Well, this morning I want to take a look at what in my opinion is one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible. And I know that's, that's saying a lot because there's some amazing things that have that's happened in the Bible. But in my opinion, this story is right up at the top. And the story comes from the life of Elijah. And I think this story is so fascinating to me because in this one story, Elijah experiences great success. He encounters the, the presence of God in just a powerful way. But he also experiences moments of failure. And there's times where he's gripped with fear and he's, he's being led with fear. And I think this story is so easy to um, really relate to because we all have experienced at least a measure of success in our life. We've all encountered the, the presence of God to a certain degree, and he certainly desires to pour out his presence and power in our lives. And at the same time, we've all known moments of failure. You know, we have, we have all fallen short. And Elijah, he's one of my heroes. I really appreciate the relationship that he has with God. I appreciate his ability to hear the voice of God and to boldly communicate what God is saying. He, he heard accurately. That's important. He heard God accurately, and then he boldly communicated the word of God in some extreme circumstances. And so he was a man of God. He heard the voice of God, but at the same time, he was a man, and he had flaws, and it's extremely encouraging to me, and I, I think it should be encouraging to you that if God can use Elijah in, in the midst of his shortcoming, in the midst of his failure and all of his flaws, that he can use us. And I think we're getting closer to really accepting and trusting that God loves us, all right? We know that he loves us, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, but Sometimes I think it's, it's hard for us to believe that even in the midst of our imperfection, in the midst of our, our flaws, that he can still use us. That he can use us. That, yes, he's perfecting us, but in the process that he's using us. No matter where you're at in life, no matter what you're going through, that God, he longs to, to use you, to have an impact on the world around us. And so we're going to take a look. I just take some time to read through this story, and I will certainly have a few little thoughts and hopefully some nuggets to share with you, but really want to leave space for the Holy Spirit to just come and, and to move in, move in your heart and to reveal to each of us really the truth that we need for the journey that we're on. We, we are all on different journeys, and the, the scenery and the terrain looks a little different in each of our lives. And so the Holy Spirit is really good at being able to just deposit in us and strengthen us and encourage us right where we are in the midst of what we're going through. So let me give you just a little bit of background. I want to set the stage for the story we're going to look at. This, this story comes well after the time of King David, after King Solomon. This story takes place in the reign of King Ahab. And Ahab was the sixth king of Israel. Before Ahab, there were a number of other kings that were considered to be wicked kings. 
And King Ahab was a very wicked king. Scripture tells us that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the kings that came before him. And so this was a very trying time for the nation of Israel, to say the least. Many people were worshiping idols. They were worshiping other gods. And God was not pleased with the nation of Israel. And so he sends a drought, and it's a very severe drought. There's no, there's no water coming from the sky. There's no moisture coming from the ground. It's a very severe drought. It's the, it's the judgment of God on the nation of Israel because of their disobedience. And so when the drought comes, God sends Elijah to this ravine, and in the ravine there's a brook. He's able to drink from the, the brook, and he sings, sends ravens with meat and with bread to sustain Elijah. Once the brook dries up because of the, the drought, God sends him to stay with the widow. And we've, some of us have heard that story. There were some miraculous things that happened. The widow had just a little bit of oil and just a little bit of flour. But as, as long as she was, she was preparing the food for the prophet Elijah, it never ran out. There was always enough. God just multiplied it over and over again. And also during this stay with this, this, uh, this lady, her son dies. And God uses Elijah to bring him back to life. He lays on him three times and he comes back to life. And so there's miraculous, thing, miraculous things happening during this time. And there was a drought in, in the natural, but God and the Spirit is still moving and, and still uh, providing and, and moving on Elijah. And so by this time, the drought has been going on for a number of years. And the Lord comes to Elijah and he says, I want you to go and I want you to present yourself to King Ahab and that he is ready to send rain on the land. So God is ready to remove the drought and to, to begin to bless the land again. While all this is going on, while Elijah is communicating with God, there's a man by the name of Obadiah. And Obadiah is a servant of King Ahab. And the drought has gotten so severe that the king sends Obadiah on this mission. He's saying, I want you to go and look, at, look in the caves, look at all the, in all the moist places and find a place where there may be some grass, just a little bit of grass, because we got to start feed, we got to find something to feed the animals because this is getting bad and we may have to start killing them. So they were, they were at a, a very severe place. And so there's a lot that happens, but to make a long story short, Obadiah is out searching for grass. For the, for the animals, and he runs into Elijah, and he's able to set up this, this meeting, this opportunity for, for Elijah to meet with King Ahab and give him the word of the Lord. And so that's where our story begins. And we're in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in, in verse 17. It says, When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, the troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but your father's family, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and, then, and followed the Baals. So that was really quick, right? They, they, you could tell this is a contentious relationship. It didn't take much for them to, to get going at one another. And King Ahab considers Elijah the troubler. He's the troubler of Israel. Why is that? Yeah. He's a prophet because he spoke the truth. He was the, he was the one that prophesied that the drought was coming. And so King Ahab doesn't take ownership of his own wicked acts that's causing the judgment of God to come. He's not able to or he's not, he, he doesn't want to acknowledge what's going on in his life. And so he shoots the messenger, as it were. And, and just real quick, have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever spoken the truth to friends or family or 
someone in your life, and not only did they not receive the truth that you spoke, but then they rejected you. You know, it's, it's your fault. It's, it's not what I've done. It's not my actions that's putting me in this situation. It's you for pointing them out to me. And it's just a little aside, but we have to realize that just because we may be rejected by friends or family or someone in authority over us or someone that has a higher position than, than we have, even though we're rejected by them, it doesn't mean what we're saying is wrong. And we have to stay humble. But even in the midst of rejection, we have to speak the truth. We have to confidently and boldly speak the word of God into the situation, into what he's saying, even if we're rejected, even if there's persecution. That's one of the things, like I said, I just love about the boldness of Elijah. And so Elijah continues, and he, he tells King Ahab, he says, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel, and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel, and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people, and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. The people, they were wavering between two opinions. In today's terminology, it would be like going to church on Sunday and then acting the fool on Monday. Right? We want the benefits of relationship with God without the, the sacrifice, without the commitment to God. And it's this very hollow existence. And really, what, what we see is this mindset of we're just going to do whatever, what, what, whatever feels right. That's what we're going to do. If it feels good in the moment, then that's what we're going to do. There, there wasn't any belief in the heart of the people. Because that's what Elijah is saying. He says, what do you believe? Do you believe God is God? Then, then let's just start following God. If not, if you believe this is the truth, then, then follow Baal. They had no sense of what was true, what was right. They didn't know what they believed. They, they said nothing. They kept quiet because they didn't know what they believed. And so they just lived their life. If this feels good, yeah, we'll go to church and then, then we'll go do this. We'll, we'll just do whatever feels right in the moment. And so in verse 22, Elijah says to them, he says, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. This is an interesting, an interesting verse. And we're going to do a little bit of stopping and starting here because there's just some nuggets and some things that we need to realize. I think there's a few things that's interesting about this, this one little verse where he's saying, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets. Number one, it tells us that this is a wicked culture. This is a culture that is, is anti-God, anti the ways of God. Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab, Scripture tells us that she had tried to kill all the prophets of the Lord, that she tore down the altars of God. And it's interesting because Scripture says she had tried to kill all the prophets of God. But remember, Obadiah, the servant we talked about, Obadiah was a faithful man. And when she had tried to kill all the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah actually took a hundred of the prophets and he hid them in caves. He put 50 in one cave and 50 in another cave, and then he brought food to them, and he brought water to them. And so we know that not all of the prophets were actually dead, and what Elijah, he wasn't the only prophet. He was believing a lie. 
And we get to see this first glimpse into the, the seed of fear that exists within this man of God. All the supernatural things, people being raised from the dead, the multiplication of, of the oil and, and the wheat all along, there, there's still this flaw. There's that, that seed of fear that exists throughout. And that's what fear, fear does. It, it wants you to believe that you're all alone. You, you know you're the only one. You know, this was the intention of the people that are against you. So it must have happened. You, you're all alone and fear wants to isolate us. And it's like when you're in the wild and the predator is hunting its prey. You know, what do they do? They find the weakest one and they isolate it. Because if they can isolate the prey, get it alone, get it to feel, you know, all alone, then you can kill it. And so verse 23, Elijah continues. He says, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophet choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people say, sounds good to us. Let's go with that. So again, we get this picture. God, all of Israel, not just the prophets, but all of Israel, has been summoned to the top of this mountain. And Elijah's saying, whose God is God? You've been wavering. You act one, one way on one day and one way, a different way on another day. Tell me what you believe. They had no answer. And so Elijah is saying, okay, let me help you out. Let me help you out. Let's, let's just prove today whose God is God. If you, can't, if you can't see it, if you don't remember how God is, has moved with your ancestors before you, if you have lost heart, if you have forgotten your way, let me, let me show you the way. Let me bring to your remembrance who God is. Let's see God on display. So in 25, verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. That's kind of interesting right there. Twice they've been asked to choose the bull. You choose first. They end up taking the bull that was given to them. It might say something about who we're dealing with here. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of unbelief, a lot of uncertainty in all of the people that are there that day. They, they, they can't make decisions. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Now, I couldn't read this part of the scripture without thinking of a a specific cornerback on the Jaguars by the name of Jalen Ramsey. He has a lot of swagger and he talks a lot of trash. And he's just really confident. And I just have, I could kind of see him just a little bit in this. Because Elijah, he just begins to taunt them. Now, remember, remember what's going on. We're, We're in a land where the queen is trying to eliminate all of the prophets. She, she wants to eliminate the vision, your ability to, the ability for people to see. Because when you don't see, you, you lose heart. Without vision, the people perish. She wants to eliminate the ability to see God so that they can't know God. People are being killed. And Elijah's up here. He's outnumbered significantly. And he is so confident in God that he's sitting there taunting them. 
He's taunting them. He says, shout louder. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or maybe he's busy or maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So what do they do? They begin to shout louder. And they slash themselves with swords and spears as it was their custom until the blood flowed. And midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until it was time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And so from morning to night, they're, they're calling upon their God and there's nothing. It's just crickets. It's silence. There's absolutely no response. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been taken down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. These may seem like two insignificant verses, but to me, there's something that is just beautiful about these two verses, verse 30 and verse 31. And it may be a little bit of the romantic in me, but there's just something that is is amazing about that. Do do you see what Elijah did? You know, what does he say to the people? He says, come here to me. These are the very people that just hours ago didn't even know if they believed that God was God. They, they were wavering. They, their, their hearts were not turned towards God. They were, they were putting God right up there with Baal, with idols. And here's Elijah. He says, just come to me. He's inviting them in the midst of their failure, in the midst of their shortcomings, into the process. He's inviting them to, to be part of the process of, of restoring the name of God in their midst. Do you see that? That even in the midst of of all of our stuff, no matter what we're going through, that even in that place, when we're not even sure if we're saved, have you ever felt that way? I've been, I was saved when I was nine, I'm 43, and there's still times I'm like, Jesus. (laughs) Even Even in those times, God, he's saying, just, come close. And he invites us into the process. And it's interesting to me because they, they take the 12 stones and they rebuild this altar and Jewish tradition and Jewish tradition, they, they pass down the stories from generation to generation, the acts of God and the things that God has done. And you see it in the feasts that are celebrated. It's a retelling of what God has done. And again, it may just be the romantic in me, but part of me thinks, you know, they're, they're, they're stacking these 12 stones and maybe there's, there's something in the back of their mind where they remember like their, their grandfather's grandfather's grandfather tells them this story about when, when they were crossing the Jordan River and how God opened it up. And when they got to the other side, they took those 12 stones and they stacked it up and they made an altar of remembrance to what God had done. And maybe, just maybe, there was this anticipation in their heart that my ancestors experienced this. Are we about to experience the same thing? Are we about to be a part of the moments that we have only heard of? There's this excitement about being a part of what God is about to do, about establishing his name again in the earth. And so they take the stones and they build an altar in the name of the Lord. 
And he dug a trench around the altar that was large enough to hold two sheaves of seed. He arranged the wood and he cut the, piece, the bull into pieces and he laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran around the altar and it even filled up the trench. So he's making it significantly harder, at least in the natural, right? You know, rock knows you ever try to build a fire with wet wood. It doesn't go very well. Again, just the confidence and the obedience to what God is saying. At the time, this is verse 36, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. I have done all of these things at your command. Remember the people that he's dealing with. He's dealing with the very vulnerable, very insecure people. They've shown that they will, they will follow just about anything if it feels right. It would be very easy at that moment to, to draw people to yourself. And in the midst of it, he gives glory to God. He doesn't forget that, that he is the mouthpiece. He is just the vessel. And he gives glory to God. Verse 37. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So the people will know that you are God. That you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up all the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Cushan Valley and he slaughtered them there. It's interesting, when the day started, he was outnumbered 450 to 1. And at the end of the day, he was a majority. One to nothing. Have you ever been in a moment, maybe you're in a moment right now, where you just feel outnumbered? That the odds are stacked against you. The giants get bigger and bigger. The reality is, when our trust is in God, you never know what a day brings. And in an instant, in a moment, God can take your situation and turn it completely around. In the Bible, we read about the suddenlies of God, where God just moves suddenly on your behalf. And so 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go eat, drink, for there's the sound of heavy rain. Remember, this is, all of this is the process of God bringing rain back into the nation. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. He bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees. I don't have anything for you on that. I, I, don't, I really don't have anything for you. But I, I guess if God's saying to put your, uh, your face between your knees, there you go. <laughs> then you put your face between your knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told the servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Then the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud the size of a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go until Ahab. Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Just a couple little 
things. And these are, there's some subtle lessons to learn, but I think they're very important. The first is this. Elijah has just spent this day on the top of the mountain seeing God move in miraculous, powerful, and very supernatural ways. The sky opens up, fire falls, and consumes the sacrifice. It's an extremely a supernatural occurrence. He, he's, most of his life is just spirit-led and just kind of wacky things. Very, very spiritual, very supernatural. And yet, in this moment, when he instructs his servant, his instructions are extremely practical. It's like, well, the rain's coming, so let's just go look for it where rain typically comes from. The sea, the ocean, that's where most rain comes from. The heat, it evaporates, and the winds blow rain to where it ends up, but most rain is formed over the ocean. And I, and I love that about God. One minute, he's, it's a supernatural, mind-blowing experience, and the other minute, it's like, just follow wisdom. And how often are we looking for God to just blow our mind, to shake us, to stir us, and all the fun stuff that happens from time to time, and God's saying, I just want you to follow wisdom. And it's a subtle point, but we have to walk in obedience to God. Because God will not always ask of us in this season what he required of us in the last season. And if we just want a repeat of what has always happened, we will easily miss God. And like Moses, we will hit the rock instead of speaking to it. And, and obedience looks different in different seasons. And that's why it requires a relationship. We're not just programmed when we're born to follow orders, but there's an ongoing relationship with God that we can move and be obedient in the season that he has us in. The second is this. Elijah had the ability to see the move of God in seed form. He hears the sound of a mighty rain. If I'm hearing the sound of mighty rain and I'm looking for the evidence of that, I'm looking for the thunderclouds. I'm looking for the black skies. I'm, I'm wanting to feel the atmosphere change like it, like it feels just before the rain comes. And yet all there was was the cloud the size of a man's hand. But, but Elijah knew from the report, he knew he could recognize the move of God in seed form. And Jody was mentioning the other day that, you know, in the apple seed, all we see is the seed, but inside of that exists the power to break forth and create you know, apples and apples and apples that create more and more trees and orchards. And in that one little cloud was, was the rain, was the storm, was the promise of God because it's, it, it made manifest the promise that God had spoken. He was going to end the drought. And when God speaks to us, we have to, we have to learn to recognize the move of God in, in, the, in the very little, in the seed form. And begin to celebrate and begin to thank him for what he's doing, even in the midst of what seems insignificant at times. Because as we do, it will begin to multiply and it will become, it will fulfill the word that God has declared. Verse 45. Meanwhile, the sky grew black. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And then verse 46, we have probably the most understated verse in all the Bible. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, tucking his cloak into his belt. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So you've had a pretty good day. And then God says, here, let me strengthen you. And you just outrun the horses. 
you know, outrun the chariots. So I don't know about you, but that's all of that put together sounds like a pretty good day. And if it was me, if I was doing an Instagram story, I would probably just stop it right there. Like, that's good. Let's send that to the publisher. Let's get the book printed. Let's let's just stop it. But this this is real life. And there's a there's a chapter 18 and then there's a chapter 19. It's not an Instagram story. It's not a Facebook post. And so we moved to chapter 19, and the last that we saw Ahab, he was hurrying back to Jezreel before the rain came. And so chapter, verse 1 of chapter 19, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. What is she saying? She's saying, in the next 24 hours, you will die by the sword. And in verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Like, that makes absolutely no sense to me. Again, this is the guy that has experienced miracle after miracle. He stood on a mountain and witnessed all day long, them calling on the, on the God of Baal to come and to manifest himself. He never came. God calls on the Lord and fire falls from heaven. And it's like he could not see that the power behind, the so-called power behind her threat had already been neutralized. It was found wanting, powerless. And yet he hears the words and he's, and he's afraid. And in the original language, when it says Elijah is afraid, it actually means that when he saw, when he saw what was being said. And it paints this picture like in his mind's eye. He had what I refer to as a hypothetical freak show where you get these little pictures of the truth and you start playing the scenarios over and over in your head. And before long, you've created a scenario where there's absolutely no way you're going to win. And fear grips you and terrifies you. And it's like you see it all playing out. It's like you play it in front of you like a movie. And it was like it didn't matter what the truth was anymore. All that mattered was what was gripping him. What he was giving influence over his life. And so he runs in fear. And it's, it's interesting because just hours before, he's standing on a mountain this man of God who accurately heard and discerned the voice and the will of God. And he's, he's asking the nation of Israel, how long will you waver between two positions? And now a few hours later, he's in this place. And what is he doing? He's wavering between two positions. Do I believe that God is powerful enough to protect me? Or will I run in fear? Will I choose God or where I choose fear. And he's gripped with fear. And, and so he, he runs. And he, we'll kind of get through this. He, he runs a, a long distance. And then he, verse 4, it says, he actually journey, went a day's journey into the wilderness until, until he came to a broom bush. And he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. That's just pitiful. It's really easy to recognize the the pitifulness in other people's lives, <laughs> you know. I, my wife is is my other set of eyes sometimes, and she can remind me that sometimes I'm acting slightly pitiful. But he's sitting under the trees. It's like I've had enough, Lord. Just take my life. 
I am no better than my ancestors. What a statement. I am no better than my ancestors. We could just spend like a whole few hours on that statement. But how often do we allow the shortcomings and the failures of our past speak louder than our our present day victories? And this is what's this is what's interesting. I'm going to skip down to the verse 10. You know, during this time, Elijah falls asleep, an angel comes and he he brings him food. And he comes again and there's there's food and it sustains him for a journey that's ahead. He tells him to journey 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches um, the mountain of God. And so he, he does and he goes into this cave and he spent the night. And so now he's, he's, it's 40 days later and he's in the mountain of God and he's sleeping in this cave. And we'll just, we'll close up here pretty quick. We'll just read this, these last few verses. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and you, they put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me, too. Can, can you like think of a second? Just think about, you know, some of those memes, you know, and people are like, hmm, hmm. It's like you can almost see God's face. He's like, like, why are you here, Elijah? And, he, and he's, he's just pitiful, man. He's like, well, I've done everything right. But these people. These people, they just, they're not obeying you and they're trying to kill everybody and now they're trying to kill me and it's, it's just not good. And, and, and God, I mean, he's so gracious. <laughs> he is so patient with us. It's almost like he's like, Did, were you not on that mountain? Because everything you just said was the truth, but then there was the mountain. Everything that you said, you know, there, there's truth to that. It rings true, but then the fire fell. Then the people fell and recognized me as God. I showed my power. And it's interesting because initially it says that the word of the Lord came to him. In a moment, we're going to see that he actually heard the voice of God. And so it's like God comes and he asks this question. He gets this kind of a lame answer. And it's almost like he's like, okay, let's just help the boy out. Let me get a little bit closer. I'm going to come a little bit closer. Let's, we need some proximity. We need to just have maybe a little intimate, more of an intimate conversation. So a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before God. But God was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. This is in verse 12. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, if I was going to write the storybook ending and write kind of the Hollywood ending of the way I like to see movies in, this encounter would be more like, you know, God comes, the word of the Lord comes. 
He asks Elijah a question. He gets a lame answer, but God is gracious. So he comes closer and now he's hearing the voice of God. It's a more intimate setting. There's a a, a closer connection with God. And I would end the the story something like, you know, Elijah, he's just aware now that God is close and he, he feels the graciousness of God and he remembers who God is. And he remembers, oh, the, the fire fell. You, you are God. Yeah, we, we rebuilt the altars. That's right. Yeah, the people, they fell before you. Oh, I, you are God. I, I've been moving in fear. I, I've been wavering between two. Oh, I, I repent. I see it now. It's not exactly how it happens. God comes close and he asks the question again. And he gets the same response. I've been very zealous for the Lord God. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They tore down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I love this story because it's another demonstration of just who God is. I started off saying we understand God loves us. I think, again, it's, it's a process of trusting that. Not of just knowing it, but really believing that. And, and that, while that is hard sometimes to accept, I think it, we, we can get that at least to a degree and we grow in that. That there's nothing that can separate us. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing that we can do to make God love us less. But the fact that while Elijah, he's still operating in fear. He is still not seeing the truth. Everything that he's communicating to God was pre-fire falling on the mountain. It was before the encounter. And how many times do we live our life with a pre-crucifixion encounter? A pre-salvation encounter? Before the cross, before the blood. You know, Paul says, it's for freedom that I set you free. Live like you're free. Make a choice. And yet so often when, when that is our reality, when the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate display of power has been made to bring us salvation, to set us free. And yet, and yet our response is to God. We relate to him like a slave people. And yet we see this picture. We, we won't take time to, to read the rest of the story. But even in that place, God uses Elijah. He, he sends him on assignment. He has him anoint a, a new king and he, and he anoints uh, Elisha to be a prophet to take his place. In the, in the midst of his failure, in the midst of his shortcoming, and when he's in, gripped with fear, when he's actually, den, in, in essence, almost denying what has just happened, he's not accepting that into the reality of his life and in his present circumstance. And yet God loves him and he uses him. To establish his name in the earth. In our spiritual walk, we're going to have highs and lows, ups and downs, twists and turns. We're going to find ourselves up and down and all the way back again. And that's especially true when we make the choice to not play it safe. You know, we've heard the quote that a ship in the harbor is safe, but that's not what ships were built for. And we can make a choice to play it safe, but it's not who we were created to be. We were created to be followers of Jesus, to lay down our lives, to lay down everything that we are, to take up our cross, to follow him. And this morning, I I really hope that 
I don't know. I always get encouraged when I read about just the power of God. And it makes me, it makes me hungry to see him move in, in those ways. But it also makes me hungry to be able to hear his voice, even in that, just that intimate way, and the, still, the stillness of who he is, just to be in that place of intimacy and relationship with him. But I hope that you're encouraged by the power of God and who he is, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, that he is on your side, that he is moving mountains for you. I hope that you're encouraged that, that his love is bigger than our failures, that he sustains us, and that he uses us, that he has a plan and a good plan for us in every season of our life, in every part of the process. We know that um, the story eventually ends. Well, I guess Elijah's story is probably not actually over. I think there's a, there's a rumor we may see him again one day. But he never died. He was taken up into a whirlwind to be with God. I love that. I love that friendship, man. I, I love that idea of relationship. It just, it just laughs and mocks this idea of religion that we so often take hold of. That we have to hide our imperfections. That we have to present something that is, is perfect to the world around us. We got to have it all together. And I just love the idea of God, that relationship. That he's with us. Yeah, he's perfecting us. He's transforming us. But in the process, he loves us. And he wants to use us. Amen. You've been listening to a teaching from Vineyard Church in Jacksonville, Florida. For more information on teachings and special events, please visit us online at www.vcjax.org. That's vcjax.org.